You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. This series that we're in the middle of called This Is Us is about who we are and why we exist as a church. Each year we refresh this idea, this focus on what God has called us to. We want to reset it again and revisit it again to focus on the thing that God has called us to invest our lives in. The mission hasn't changed since the very beginning, in the very first century of this millennium. This, this has not changed. 2,000 years, the mission has been the same. Like every Christ-centered church, we are called to live out the Great Commission. This is what Jesus called his followers to just before he ascended to heaven. And like last week, I want to ask you if you would join me in reading this verse. So if you would stand, I want us to read our text together this morning. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you. You may be seated. Making disciples is what this verse talks about, and that's why we exist. That's why we often call ourselves a Great Commission Church, because Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is what we're all about. A Great Commission Church is a group of Jesus followers who are committed to making disciples. It's a key part of our strategy, and it's important that it's understood by all of us. Now, this living the Great Commission is relatively simple. It's not complicated. I'm not saying that it's not difficult at times. It's not always easy, but it's not difficult to understand. There are only three components to it. The first is explain God's love and forgiveness to those who don't know about it yet. And then the second part is to baptize them once they make Jesus Lord and Savior of their lives, having accepted his love and his forgiveness. And then the third part is to teach them what you have learned about Jesus. He says, teach them all that I have commanded you, Jesus said. In order for us to be the most effective in fulfilling the Great Commission, we need to focus on some key values that will help us to live out this mission of ours in 2018. Last week, we saw how important the value of grace is, how we need to accept it in our own lives personally, but we also need to share it with others who don't know about it yet. Well, the first value that I want to look at today, and we're going to look at two of them, is the value of growth. We need to grow in truth. If we desire to deepen our relationship with God, and we desire to to deepen our knowledge of who God is, and we desire to know more about the direction that he gives, then we need to put ourselves in a place where we can grow. And the first step to facilitating growth is to start by listening to God. Listen to God. We need to be in a place where we can hear from God. The Bible is the primary source to draw from in order to hear from God. Now, people will say to me periodically, I have a word from God for you. And I don't take that lightly, but I do judge it pretty severely. 
Because I don't know that they necessarily have heard from God. It just may be the burrito they had at Taco Bell moving in them, you know, inspiring them to speak to me. We get crazy sometimes after Taco Bell, right? But the one thing I know is that when we read the Word of God, we are actually hearing a message from God. Students of Jesus or followers of Jesus are referred to as disciples in Scripture. These are people whose desire is to deepen their relationship with Jesus. Like the disciples of the first century, they listened to what Jesus had to say. And then after Jesus ascended, they paid attention to what the Holy Spirit had to say. So the first step to growth is listening to God. Now there are a number of ways that we can listen to God. There are sermons and there are Bible studies, there are prayer times, there are life groups and Sunday Bible classes, seminars, podcasts, the list goes on and on. But probably the best opportunity to hear directly from God, unimpeded by anything else in this life, is to read the Bible for ourselves. There's never been a time in history, ever, when it was easier to read or listen to the Bible than right now. Think about that. With advancements in technology and the tools that we have, like the YouVersion app and BibleGateway.com and all these other websites and apps, you can read the Bible. You can read it on your phone, you can read it on your tablet, you can read it on your computer, or you can go old school and read a hard copy, okay? Do you know that the YouVersion app, not long ago, had their one billionth download? There are a billion plus people on the planet who have the Bible, multiple translations, on their phone or their tablet or their laptop or desktop. It's amazing. It's so available. Make it a priority to spend time listening to God speak to you through his word. And I want to challenge you. If, you, if this is not a regular part of your routine, your regular regimen that you live by, find 15 minutes, download a, a, a reading plan from the YouVersion app, and over the next three weeks, just let God's word speak to you. Listen to what he has to say. I believe it will transform your life. It's a great habit to get into, to spend some time every day listening to what God has to say. Well, once God has our attention and we're listening, then the next step to facilitating growth is to learn the truth. You know, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to actually let it sink in. Learn what God is saying to you. In Romans, the 15th chapter, verse 4 says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Let me back up to the first part of this verse. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Paul says the entire Bible is part of God's plan to educate us. And then he says, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that if you hang in there, you endure for a while, that the Bible is a vital tool in God giving us encouragement so that we might find hope and hold on to that hope. The knowledge of the scriptures affects our attitudes toward our present moment and the future. You see, the more we know about what God has done in the past, the greater the confidence we will have about what he'll do today and in the days to come. 
That's what the Paul, that's what the Apostle Paul referred to as hope. We often call it faith. As you listen to God's word, in order to learn from it, it's important to ask yourself two very important questions. The first one is this. What is God saying here in this text, in this verse? What is he actually saying? You know, it's important to identify the truth or the message that God is communicating in any section of Scripture. And I confess that there have been times when I have been reading my Bible or even listening to a sermon online or even live only to finish and have no idea what I just read or what I just heard. I remember being in my office at home and reading three, ver- three chapters of verses only to get to the end and asking myself, what did I just read? And not having a clue. And so I went back and reread it again. I was just on automatic pilot. It's easy for that to happen. One way to stay focused, to stay sharp, is when you sit down with your Bible, also add a journal or a pad of paper to write down what you hear God saying, the things that stand out to you, the things that stirred you as you were reading through it. You can also do this during a sermon. That's why we give you a place to take notes. Or you can do it during a a life group or a Bible class. I've often seen my own daughters carry their journals with them into worship to take notes, to write down, not just the notes that were part of the outline, but to write down things that God was saying that were pertinent to them. Keep track of truths from God's Word that stand out to you, that speak to you that connect with you. And then the second question I think is important to ask is, how does this apply to me? This verse, this truth, how does it apply to me? Once you understand what he's saying there, how does this apply to me? It's very important to realize that we have a part in God's plan. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus says this in John 14, verse 12 and following. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then skip down to verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. It's important to know what God is saying and then apply it to our lives. So that's why we have to ask that question. How do I apply this? Because we can have a whole host of knowledge, but if we don't ever apply it in our daily lives, how important is that? How useful is it? Which, this leads us to the third step of facilitating growth. We listen first, then we learn, and then the third is live the truth. Live the truth. Listen to what James says in James, the first chapter, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He's saying apply it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James makes it clear that we should respond to the word by doing what it says. And when we do that, when we apply the word by living it out in our own lives, he promises that we will be blessed in what we do. It's important not only to know it, but to apply it. 
There was a research study called the Reveal Study that was done a few years ago to determine the most effective ways that Christians grow in their faith. The research started with the Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. It's it's right there near Chicago. And it grew to actually becoming a national research project where they surveyed over a thousand churches and over a quarter million church attendees over the course of a four-year period. This, from our perspective, is a massive study. The initial goal of the Willow Creek team was to identify which of the activities and programs that they offered to their church that delivered the greatest spiritual growth to their people. They wanted to find out what would help people better love God and love others. What they learned, though, was troubling to their leadership. This research generated a tremendous amount of data But there was this one key piece of information that continued to stand out. And this was what it was. They learned the most effective strategy for moving people forward in their journey of faith was biblical engagement. Not just getting people into the Bible when they're at church, but helping them to be engaged in the Bible on their own outside of church meetings. They actually put together this uh, book that's a compilation of the research. A lot of wonkish kind of stuff in there. But there was one quote that resonated with me. And it said this, everywhere we turned, the data revealed the same truth. Spending time in the Bible is hands down the highest impact personal spiritual practice. More specifically, reflecting on the meaning of scripture is the spiritual practice that is most predictive of spiritual growth. They're saying that not only was it reading the Word and understanding it, but meditating on it, kind of stewing over it, reflecting on it for a period of time. So when we read the Bible and we reflect on it, that, the research says, is the greatest potential for spiritual growth in an individual's life. Yet many people believe that church activity equals spiritual growth, but the study showed that that Almost, had almost no impact on spiritual growth. Now, church events and activities are beneficial for other reasons. It's a great place. Those are great events for building community and serving others, ministering to others. But not so much for spiritual growth, the study found. The one thing that moved the dial of spiritual growth among believers more than anything was simply time spent reflecting on the Bible. So, I want to encourage you, in 2018, as we begin this brand new year, listen to God. Learn what he's saying to us. Learn what it means. And start to live it in your life. Apply it. When we do those three things, then the fourth step to help facilitating growth, once we have all of that in our queue, The fourth step is to lead others to truth. Leading others to truth is the idea of teaching them the biblical truth that you've learned and how to grow in that truth. You see, the kingdom of God is going to grow. I believe that. It's going to expand. And we have a part in it when we teach others what the Bible actually says. Our mission statement at Northeast is followers leading everyone, everywhere, to be followers of Jesus. We play this key part in explaining the truth of God to other people. 
This is called discipleship. As we defined a disciple earlier, that's a follower or a student of Jesus. If we're a follower of Jesus, we're a student of Jesus, it'll mean a life change in our lives. This information and this truth being applied in our lives changes us. It changes us on a head level, the way we think, on a heart level, how we feel about certain things, and on a, on a hands level. It changes how we, we work and move and act. Leading others to the truth focuses on investing in another person so that they have enough information about Jesus and they're able to accept him as their Lord and their Savior. And then they have enough information in order to faithfully follow him. And after they have been discipled, then they'll be equipped to move on and lead others themselves to understand the grace of God and the good news, the gospel, and also to follow him when they surrender their life to him. Jesus explained discipleship in part in the last of the Great Commission when he said, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What's important about this is it it reveals to us that every Christian is in the disciple-making business. This isn't just for the paid staff. It's not for the elders alone or the Bible school teachers or the Bible study leaders or life group or D group leaders. This is for every person who wears the name of Christ. You've been deputized to listen to God, to learn those truths, and then to live them out, and then to pass them on. Maybe it starts with your kids, or your spouse, or a coworker, or a good friend, or a neighbor. But it begins to extrapolate out, because people need to hear this message. We're to teach them what it means to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians 1.28. He said, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect. Perfect. That word probably better be, would be better translated mature. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. My son-in-law is uh, Tyler Chelf. And uh, I didn't ask your permission, Tyler. Sorry. I don't think I need your permission. You got my daughter. I'm going to take some liberties. All kidding aside, a few years ago, Tyler went to the police academy here in Lexington, and he was taught about what it means and how to be a police officer. He learned a lot about the law, and he learned about how to manage all of those different elements of law enforcement. And then after he graduated, and we were all very proud that he graduated, he was a great student in the academy, he was then assigned to an FTO, that's a field training officer, and he did that for several months. And the, the officer basically is supposed to teach them what they learned in the academy and how it actually works out in real police work. And then he got his own cruiser. Remember that? You were a real cop at that point, right? You got your own gun, and you got your own vest, and you got your uniform, and you got your car. And then he did something that kind of surprised us. He decided he wanted to be part of HDU. Now, do you know what HDU is? That's Hazardous Devices Unit. That's code for bomb squad, okay? Now, my wife wasn't all that thrilled about that news to him at all. It's not a surprise to him because it's dangerous, right? But he wanted to learn. 
He wanted to expand his understanding of police work, and that was a special area, and he got involved in it. And then he not only learned that, but then he signed on with the Special Victims Unit, which was a whole other area of kind of special police work, and he learned all that. And then you know what's just happened in the last uh, part of last year? He became an FTO. He became a field training officer. He started teaching guys how to take what they learned in the academy and these rookie recruits to actually be a police officer, what it means and how it works. That's a great picture of discipleship. Here's a guy, he's learning all this stuff. He's learning more here. He's learning more here. And then at some point, he turns around and he starts investing in the rookie recruits. And we're really, we're really on a personal level, very proud of him uh, today is his last day on patrol tonight, and then tomorrow he starts as a detective with the special victims unit in, on the police force. So we're really proud of that and excited for him. Timothy was a guy who had an FTO named the Apostle Paul. Paul invested in a lot of these guys who were younger in the faith. And probably the most famous was a guy by the name of Timothy. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. You can read them in the New Testament. And he wrote those to continue discipling him, even though they were separated by a lot of distance. Timothy grew as a result of that and became a respected disciple of Jesus, so that when Paul invited Timothy to join he and Silas on their mission trip, Timothy didn't even hesitate. And Paul continued to pour into Timothy, explaining to him what it meant to follow Jesus, so much so that he eventually left Timothy in Ephesus, to help lead the church there. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul wrote these things, wrote this to Timothy. He said, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. If we invest in another person and then they grow to maturity in their faith and they invest in another person, then we're going to change the world. And we may not change the entire world, but we're going to change the part that we can have influence on. If we want to live out the Great Commission to the best of our ability, growth will be a key value that we have to invest in. Well, there's a second value that we're looking at today, and that is the value of group. Group. Some of us use the word community. We need to be connecting in a group. The English poet John Doan wrote, No man is an island entire of himself. King Solomon would have agreed with this. He goes on to actually explain why this statement is true. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. What King Solomon was saying here is we need each other. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There are actually hundreds and hundreds of reasons why we need each other. But I want to share three that were relevant to me. And I think they're important. The first is together we have encouragement. It's easy to get discouraged when growing in your faith. Our spiritual enemy doesn't want us to succeed. And he's going to try to cause you to quit or be, realize that you're just too busy for all of this Christian study and Christian ministry. All of us need an encourager 
to help us see past that, to get past the discouragement. Because you may not be discouraged, but it will come. It will come. You walk with Jesus long enough, there will be some discouragement that will come across your path. Well, there's another reason why we need each other, and that is together we have accountability. It helps when we know that someone is counting on us to show up. It helps to know that they're looking out for me on this race of life. When I was training for a marathon a number of years ago, I remember having to wake up on cold Saturday mornings. I hated running in the cold. I, I hated getting out of bed at the crazy hours that we had to, those early in my day off of all days. I just didn't want to get up, but I knew I had to go meet my running group because that was the day that we had scheduled our long runs on Saturday mornings. I didn't want to get up. But I got up because I knew my training partners were counting on me being there. And you know those same guys kept me going during some of those extremely difficult training runs. Races. When I wanted to quit. There was one race where I really wanted to quit. But one of those guys kept me going the last 10 miles. We'll be tempted in this race of life to quit. There are going to be some challenges that are going to come. There's going to be some sin that you're going to be tempted to give into. But if we're part of a biblical community, those guys and those gals, they will fight for us to keep going. They'll say, hey, get on my shoulders. I'll carry you if that's what it takes. We need a group to hold us accountable so that we don't quit. And then the third reason why we need each other is together we can grow more. We can grow more. Others can make us better, more effective. I love what Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You make me better when we're doing life together. When we share the same goals, we grow more, and we can accomplish so much more. There's a great picture of this. A number of years ago, at a Midwestern fair, Many spectators, ga- spectators gathered for this old-fashioned horse pull. Some of you may have seen these. It's an event where various weights are put on a horse-drawn sled and pulled across the ground. The grand champion of the event was a horse that pulled a sled with 4,500 pounds. The runner-up was close behind that with 4,400 pounds. Some of the guys who were part of the event wondered what these two horses could pull if they were hitched together. You separately, you totaled their number up. It was almost 9,000 pounds. But when they were hitched together, working as a team together, they were able to pull over 12,000 pounds. That's a great picture of what can happen in the context of a biblical community. Together, we can accomplish so much more. I believe that life is at its very best when I'm part of a biblical community. John Doan was right. No man is an island. We aren't. We need each other. And the truth is we're better together when we're in a biblical community. So how does a person connect in a community like this here at Northeast? Well, there's two, there's two ways you can do this. There's two 
key environments. The first is join a medium-sized group. I know this is a technical term, medium-sized group, right? But we're talking about everybody who comes to be a part of community doesn't necessarily feel like they're ready to join a small group or what we call a life group around here. That's why we have medium-sized groups. Medium-sized groups are between this worship center group and the life group. These are communities that are gatherings that meet on Sunday morning in Sunday morning classes or Wednesday evening classes, which are all kicking off this coming Wednesday. There are women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, even young adult Bible studies. These groups give you the opportunity to develop some relationships with other believers, and they're a, break, a great place to start getting connected. But if you want to go a little bit deeper than that, then join a life group. A life group is a gathering of four to maybe around 15 people who meet together to encourage one another to grow in the Word of God, their faith, and their faith, and also to care for each other. This is the group that knows you probably better than anyone else in this church. And they're the ones who will walk with you whatever the season of life that you're going through. I remember years ago, Mike Bro telling me about showing up at the hospital uh, for, to visit a guy, and the guy said, level with me. Mike said, what, what are you talking about? He said, you got to tell me. He goes, I know my life group takes care of me, but you showing up here, it must be really bad news. And Mike said, oh, I just came to see you. He said, don't lie to me. You know, he thought he was on death's door because the preacher showed up because his life group did all of the pastoral care for him. These are the guys and these are the gals who you can count on when everything is going south. So how do you sign up? How do you get connected in this way? Probably the easiest way to join is to take your program here at the bottom of your program. Fill this connect part out, this uh, information part out. And then on the back side, there's a box that says get connected in community. Just check that box. Drop this in the uh, offering bag um, at the, later on in the service, and uh, one of our guys will follow up with you to get you uh, in the process of getting connected. It's that easy. I love what Proverbs seventeen seventeen says. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I don't know about you, but I need a friend. I need somebody who I can count on when difficulty comes my way. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we'll be more efficient and more effective when we do it together. So let's find a place to link arms with some other believers, and let's start growing together. I want to close with a story that uh, I find very remarkable, at least in my world. The restaurant was Howard Johnson's in Springfield, Missouri. I'm not sure anyone in here has ever been there. The placemat with this vision sketched out on the back of it belonged to Bob Stacy, a professor at Ozark Christian College. And sitting around the table with him that day on December 9th, 1966, were his wife Nell, a good friend, Roseanne Tyler, and a college student named Mark Davis. See, Bob had developed this program at Ozark Christian College for high school assemblies, utilizing Ozark students to travel around the country and lead praise and worship times for students in junior high schools and high schools. 
But the Holy Spirit sparked something in their hearts that night. You see, that evening they had gone to hear the famous evangelist David Wilkerson preach. And Bob said that when they were sitting around that table, he realized we need to do something for our youth. More than just these worship, uh, these worship experiences that the Ozark students were doing. They saw a need for students to learn God's love and his forgiveness and then to grow in biblical truth. Bob said, we started talking that evening around that table about what we could actually do. And the more we talked, the more excited we got. He said, I had to write down ideas and what began to take form were the first steps of a brand new ministry that would later be called Christ in Youth. In 1968, Christ in Youth officially started. And they did all of these, uh, these crusades on the weekends all around uh, the Midwest. But somebody challenged them, hey, don't you, what if we did it for an entire week? We'll let you use this camp. And so their first conference happened in 1970. Over the, over the week of camp, they did this conference They said they anticipated that 250 kids would probably show up, and over 500 actually came. And CIY was out of the gates, and their influence would continue continue to expand as more conferences were held around the country each and every year, more and more. Now 16 states host conferences every summer. They also continued to expand their influence with a preacher training institute to to teach young young students how to preach. And then they added international mission trips. You know, CIY will do around 20 international mission trips every year to any one of more than 50 different countries where they have partnerships around the world. Today, CIY ministers to high school students, middle school students, and now they're ministering to preteens, those in the fourth through sixth grade. Last year alone, 62,101 high school and middle school students participated in a conference like the one that Josh is taking our middle schoolers to next month, Believe. If you have a middle schooler, I hope that you will get them signed up to be a part of what could be a life-changing experience for them. God used Bob Stacy in a powerful way to influence literally hundreds of thousands of high school students and middle school students over the years. And this is the 50th year of CIY. What an incredible legacy he has. But I tell you this story not because it's a 50-year-old remarkable movement that has had a tremendous impact on students all around our nation. But I tell it to you because, well, for me, it's personal. You see, I was one of those students that went to several of those CIY conferences. And then in 1980, at a conference in Missouri, I responded to God's calling into ministry. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I felt it so strongly. I decided to go to Bible college in Cincinnati, where for the first two years, I was mentored by the brand new professor of preaching, a guy by the name of Bob Stacy the former founder of CIY. The experience of learning with 
in a discipleship group that Bob led made a huge difference in my life. I'm convinced, I doubt I would be where I am today were it not for that experience. Here's the point. You may not have a national influence like Bob Stacy, but if you and I live out the Great Commission, we can make an eternal difference in somebody's life. We can make a difference in the lives of people all around us and all around the world. But for this to happen, we need to be people who are growing in our faith and in the truth. And that'll happen best when we do it together. As a Great Commission Church, I believe with all my heart, we're going to see the population of heaven increase because of what we do here. People will be added to the family of God when we live out the Great Commission. I hope you'll make that a key part of your, 19, or your 2018. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful that you gave us a way to know you as we talked last week about your grace and the promise that you wash away our sins when we surrender our heart to you, accepting Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. As we learn, God, about that, and as we study your word, there's something that happens in us. We're energized by it. You call us to represent you. There's a transformation that happens. God, I pray that you would help every one of us in this room, wherever we're at in the journey of faith, I pray that you would help us grow closer to you. For some, they've been walking with you for a really long time. Re-energize them. God, for others, they're new to the faith. Give them all this living bread. And Lord, for others, maybe they've never taken that step of faith, making Jesus their Lord. I pray, God, they would start listening to you and learning about you and learn what it means to live for you. God, help us as believers to listen and learn and live and then to lead others in what we know to be true. God, help us to connect in groups. I know sometimes it's easy. It's so busy. Life is so complicated. We just don't think we have time for one more thing. I pray you'll help us find that group of people who will help us run this race so that we hit the tape at the finish line and we, have, we do it with every bit of who we are for your glory. God, help us make sure that no one misses your love and your forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, want to talk to someone about what we've talked about today, maybe you have a question about something that was in this message, or you just want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm going to be down here at the close of the service, and I would love to visit with you for a little bit. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord together.